You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your semi-daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your earphones, your speakers, whatever device you're using, your stove. I think you can do that on stoves now. I'm not sure, but you're going to be able to pump this through whatever you want in the near future and all your favorite Locked On Podcast Network shows. I'm the host of this podcast show, Ryan Andrews from JasonCouch.com, back with you for a discussion of baseball in general because that's what we're doing in the offseason. feels like forever since the Blue Jays played their last game. So we're going to keep talking about the playoffs. We're going to talk about the Houston-Boston series, as well as the Los Angeles-Milwaukee series, and kind of hit on some themes that have emerged from those sets of games as we move towards the World Series. But this being a Blue Jays podcast show, it behooves us to talk about the Blue Jays at some point. And we're going to do it immediately because news broke earlier this week that the Blue Jays had narrowed the field of candidates that they're looking to replace John Gibbons in the managerial role. They have narrowed that field down to five candidates. And four of them were mentioned in a report by Shai Davidi on Tuesday. And... It's good to just run down the names just to see who has made that cut, at least from outside the organization, because that's the way it looks. Um, I'll I'll mention who I think is the fifth name at the end here, but let's start with the names we do have, and we will we'll kind of just hit around a little bit. Um, start with one of the names we mentioned on the podcast before, David Bell, very hot managerial candidate. He is currently in the San Francisco organization. He's their vice president of player development, but he's been in the dugout for a while. Started his coaching career in 2008 after he retired, kind of forced retirement in 2006. So he has he has a fair amount of experience, brings that former MLB player mentality there. He's been a third base coach. He's been a hitting coach, been a bench coach. So he served all these roles. He's been a manager in the minor leagues. He's done a lot of things other than just being this front office guy for the Giants. He's a very hot candidate right now. Minnesota's been interviewing him. Texas has been interviewing him. So if the Blue Jays are accelerating their process in in looking for a manager, it makes sense to try and pull Bell immediately. Probably why they've narrowed it down to five candidates at this point. But David Bell's become an interesting name, I think, because of of the versatility he's had. He, because he's a known name in Major League Baseball, I think a lot of teams are on him. Another former Major League player that has made the cut is Rocco Baldelli, who will be familiar to Blue Jays fans as a longtime member of the Tampa Bay Rays. He is currently the Major League field development coach i it some of these job titles i swear 
they're just making them up as they go. Like, hey, we want you in the organization, but we don't know what. Um, Major League Field Coordinator. Sorry. Um, he was their first base coach before that. Um, was an outfielder for the Devil Rays slash Rays for eight seasons. One of those was spent in Boston. Won't hold that against them. He's a New England kid. So, uh, obviously had to retire early due to fatigue issues and just immediately went into the front office. And he was hired by Kevin Cash onto the staff. So he's had a bit more time to learn the game. And I, I think that's a theme we're seeing with a lot of these candidates the Blue Jays have picked out. Not a lot of names that are relatively new or those players that are like going to move immediately into managing like the John McDonald's. Looks like the Blue Jays want someone with a bit more experience who isn't really trying to learn with the club, but but has been around the game and kind of can impart more stuff on to the younger players growing up. So Baldelli kind of fits that bill. He's been been bouncing around the Rays organization since he retired in 2010. And uh, he's another candidate who's very hot, also rumored to be interviewed by the Twins and the Rangers. So again, if the Blue Jays are accelerating this process, it makes sense to try and get a guy like Baldelli if they think Baldelli can be that next managerial star, so to speak. Um, So he's, he was a very, very good player. I, I remember seeing Rocco Baldelli. He was part of that outfield with Carl Crawford. And um, I think Desmond Jennings might have crossed paths with him. But I remember Crawford and Baldelli for a long time. They were the speed that kind of covered whatever aging slugger Tampa Bay decided to put in the right field. So it's, it's it would be interesting to see him in the dugout. And I, I, I do want to mention his, his Twitter bio just cause you know, I, I like this kind of mentality, uh, in his Twitter bio on Twitter at Rocco D Baldelli, it says, I have no idea where this will lead us, but I have a definite feeling it will be a place both wonderful and strange. And I actually really like that mentality. That, that is something that I would have expected John Gibbons to say. So, I I like Baldelli. If I I would have no problems with Rocco Baldelli getting brought on to the Blue Jays. So a couple of bench coaches have also made the cut. Uh, one of them being Brandon Hyde, who is currently the Chicago Cubs bench coach. Just got promoted to bench coach this year after Dave Martinez was hired by Washington. Hyde has been a coach for a while. He was hired as bench coach in Miami in 2010, actually served as manager in 2011 uh, when Edwin Rodriguez resigned. So he w- he was manager for one game, so he has managerial experience, and then moved to the Cubs in 2013, was kept on even under Joe Madden, uh, was their first base coach for a while. And then was promoted back to bench coach. So, again, I, one of these kind of lifer guys who had, who's kind of just stuck around and and really gained a lot of experience. I think that's the way the Blue Jays, like I said, looks to be the way they're leaning. Um, Hyde brings a ring with him, part of that 2016 team. 
Also, the other bench coach who they're interested in, Joe Espada. Uh, he's currently Houston's bench coach. Just moved there from the Yankees last season. Another guy with a winning pedigree was part of that World Series team last year. He's been third base coach for a while. He, he did it in Miami. He did it in New York before getting that bench coach job in Houston. He's Puerto Rican. So if the Blue Jays are looking for someone who's bilingual, Espada ticks that box for them. And an, another hot candidate. It looks like Texas and Minnesota and Toronto are all looking at the same kind of guy. I'm sure Baltimore is trying, but does anyone want any part of Baltimore right now? I I don't know. I'd stay away. But no, uh, Spada is, is another guy who's who's been a coach for a while, just kind of got elevated this season. But his, his mind is sound, and you, know, you can't argue with the success that Houston's had. Now, the name that is not mentioned... On the Blue Jays list, I'm going to take a guess and say that it's John Schneider because John Schneider kind of fits this mold that the Blue Jays seem to be looking for. Guys who have years of experience, haven't really gotten that managerial slot, but have shown they can win, they can instill that winning culture, Who, but are also going to kind of keep the atmosphere that John Gibbons had because I think they really like the atmosphere that Gibbons had. And John Schneider... Very similar to John Gibbons. I'm actually, I've actually pulled up a minor league baseball article written by Bruce Constantino back in 2010. This was when Schneider was first named manager of Vancouver when he was 30, youngest manager in their history. And again, he he's a guy who thinks of himself as a player's manager, but gets very aggressive on the field. And we've seen that with the mentality both Dunedin and New Hampshire have shown the past couple of seasons. Very aggressive on the base paths. Will will do their best to push those runners across. And for the Blue Jays, that's a mentality they have to have. And we mentioned on this podcast that Jerry Howarth really liked John Schneider. And I think the fact that that name was not leaked means that Schneider is more likely to be that fifth person as opposed to Sandy Alomar Jr. coming out of Cleveland or any of these other outside-of-the-organizational candidates. I don't think it's going to be DeMarlo Hale because I think that'd be more of the same thing. I think Hale and Gibbons were very similar in their approaches to how to manage the game. So I think John Schneider has actually got a really good chance. And yeah, the Blue Jays will probably take looks at Espada and at Baldelli. And, and Bell. And maybe even if they go with one of those names, Schneider gets a shot at being the bench coach in Toronto. And, you know, keeping him in that conversation kind of kind of cements that that he's he's destined to move up a little bit. I, I don't think he'd take Buffalo. Bobby Meacham is very much entrenched there. So bumping Schneider immediately to the major league level would help with the transition of a lot of these players who the Blue Jays are going to look at moving up in the future. So yeah, a lot of good Blue Jays managerial talk there. We're going to shift focus. We're going to talk about the American League Championship Series right after this break. All right, so 
I I don't know what to say about last night's game between Boston and Houston. Just seems whatever later game is just going to take forever to complete. Which when you're in Nova Scotia means you're staying up till 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. to watch baseball, which is fine. But I am so tired, just so tired. Um, but yeah, it it was a crazy crazy game. Uh. The new Steve Bartman was born, and his name is Troy Caldwell. It's a guy wearing a Reagan Bush hat, which, if you're doing that in 2018, you deserve what infamy you're getting for interfering with Mookie Betts' glove. Because that, I saw a lot of debate online, like, oh, that should have been a home run, why'd they call it out? It's because the fan interfered with the player. This isn't, like, you know, I... He could have taken the ball. And I, I said online, I know Houston fans in the outfield are skittish after what Randall Grishuk did to George Springer earlier this year. Shout out our boy Grich. But you can't you can't take your eye off the player and the ball. You have you have to have that kind of vision if you're making that kind of move. And Troy Caldwell was clearly focused on the ball. He had no idea Mookie Betts was coming. But he still made contact with him, and it was clear he closed the glove. He prevented Mookie Betts from making a play on that ball. So I actually agree with the call on the field that it it should have been an out. You should you he was there. Mookie Betts is an amazing player. We we that throw he made to to nail Tony Kemp at second base was insane. I don't know how he contorted his body enough to get enough velocity on that road to nail a very speedy guy in Tony Kemp and just bail Craig Kimbrell out of another ramshackle inning, but I you can't you can't do that. It's it's the same we said all season. Don't reach into the field of play and and yeah, people are like, well, he wasn't in the field of play. He was in the stands trying to trying to catch a home run. Like, you still have to be aware of the player in that scenario. You can't force yourself. Like it it's an it's a novel attempt to try and get Altuve a home run, but you still have to have that kind of awareness when you're a fan. You have to be able to see everything on the field. And you have to not interfere. I think a lot of fans nowadays are forgetting that. Saw that when when Yankees fans were chucking beers at Craig Kimbrell as he was about to enter a game in Yankee Stadium. Fans need to remember that they are there to observe. They are not there to impact the game. And I know in this day and age where everyone wants attention on them, they're like, oh, I need my attention and I, I don't care what I have to do to get it. It's it's a horrible mentality and if it could get someone hurt. Like like it's the same problem as uh Ken, the can thrower, uh in Toronto who, who threw that can at Hyunsu Kim of Baltimore. You can't be doing that. You can't think you can directly impact that game. Because that's not the point of sports. That's not why you're there. You're there to watch. You're there to observe. You're there to enjoy. You're not there to get involved like that. And I I feel sorry for Troy Caldwell. At least it was a two-run game. So me so it didn't fully impact it. Me I I don't think that's gonna comfort him enough. 
but just you can't be doing that. And now Boston can try and close it out in game five, but they they have David Price going on three days rest, which good luck with that. I I I don't think that's going to end well. It Price was almost set to come in last night if Kimbrell couldn't deliver two innings, but Price just won his first game, uh, his first postseason start earlier in this series. And now he's being asked to go on three days rest, which I I know Tampa Bay had success with that during their run, but that was more using Price as a reliever. And I don't know how successful that's going to be. I Boston may be just looking to clinch it at home. Chris Sale got pushed back from this game five start. He's probably going to go in game six. So that may be Boston's mentality moving forward with it. But yeah, I'm I'm not sure they're they're going to get it done on the road. I think they're going to wait for two shots at Fenway to try and do it and and hope Jackie Bradley Jr. can find another home run because oh my god, Jackie Bradley Jr. has been that entire Boston offense. Who had that coming? I I did not. So yeah, been very entertained by the American League Championship Series. We'll talk about the National League Series right after this. All right, so in the National League, Los Angeles currently up 3-2 on Milwaukee. They head to Miller Park with a chance to close it out tomorrow. And... You know, you you the main thing with Milwaukee, I think, you wonder whether or not this bullpen strategy is starting to blow up a little bit on them. You you seen the the amount of work that guys have put in. Um Corey Knable's been in, in four of the five games. Joaquin Soria's been in four of the five games. Soria was was not good uh in his in his last outing. And I, I've heard a lot of people questioning whether or not Milwaukee's strategy would hold up over a seven-game series because you know the belief is that as as batters become more familiar with pitchers, they are more likely to figure out what they're going to try and do. And when you're able to do that, the bullpen thing doesn't work as well because you don't have that kind of deception, you don't have that change of frame, which. I mean, Milwaukee definitely tried to do that with this whole let's start Wade Miley for one batter in Game 5, which I it, that was interesting. Brandon, Brandon Woodruff actually gave starters innings coming in after that, pitched five and a third, kind of a hard luck loser in that one. But it, it was an interesting strategy that I'm not certain why more teams wouldn't do that, especially especially in this day and age when openers are becoming more popular, why not throw out a guy just to get a lineup you know is going to be more beneficial? Because Dave Roberts has shown himself to be like fanatically devoted to matchups, to analytics. And that's why David Freeze got the start in that game at first base and and why he left guys like Brian Dozier and Yastio Puig on the bench because of that lefty starter. So yanking him immediately and putting in Brandon Woodruff actually is a very interesting strategy. I think 
more teams should actually take advantage of in the postseason. Just this kind of trickeration and and getting the lineups that you want, maybe having an easier time. Obviously did not work as well for Milwaukee because Clayton Kershaw came out there and was Clayton Kershaw, which, you know, you cannot do anything when Clayton Kershaw is on his game. And giving giving the Dodgers seven innings of work, saving that bullpen, that's been asked to do a lot, especially with that extra inning game the night before, which 13 innings, that was fun. That was fun to sit up and, and watch until 3.30 in the morning. I I enjoyed it. But you wonder if Los Angeles isn't in better shape heading back to Milwaukee, knowing that all their guys are rested, they're going to likely be coming back with Hyunjin Ryu in Game 6 to try and close it out there. And you wonder what tricks Milwaukee kind of has left. Gio Gonzalez hasn't been effective. Uh, Yuli Chassin probably won't be able to go until Game 7. So you wonder what the Brewers can really throw at the Dodgers. They have to hope they either solve Ryu or are are able to just kind of stymie them enough. It was it was interesting the way they used their new pitchers. They had Freddie Peralta in in game four, six strikeouts in three innings for him. They had Zach Davis come in in last night's game, which if you're bringing in a guy like Davis, why not use him for length? You had Brandon Woodruff go five and a third innings. Davis pitched the ninth, pitched all right, he, he had a clean frame. But now you burn Zach Davis for for that game six, likely. They've already announced Miley's going to go in game six because he pitched one batter in game five. But are you going to be able to trust a guy like Zach Davis if it comes to win game seven? Or are you going to go with Shasin? It, it It's just tough to try and figure out what Milwaukee can really do to kind of switch things up any more than they've done. Because I, I think the Dodgers have figured out their key guys. Those key bats in the bullpen. They figured out Corbin Burns. Figured out Joaquin Soria. Um, figured out Xavier Cedeno. And they're honing in on Jeremy Jeffress as well. So that really leaves Knebel and that guy with long hair who doesn't apologize for his tweets properly, Josh Hader. And... You're, you're going to be asking more out of them. And we've seen what happens when you ask a lot out of a bullpen arm like that. The Dodgers know that very well. They saw what happened to Brandon Morrow last year. So you keep asking that of Corey Knabel. And you keep asking that of unapologist Josh Hader. And eventually things are going to blow up a bit as they have done in this series. So that will be what I'm looking for. Will, will Milwaukee be able to overcome that? Or will the Dodgers be able to continue to press this advantage, continue to get those clutch hits? And I'll, I'll briefly mention Manny Machado being the villain of this postseason. Clipped Jesus Aguiar uh, going around first base. Aguiar said some words that he should not have said. Blue Jays fans will be familiar with those words because you know Escobar decided to put them on his eye black and he got suspended for them. So I'm not sure if MLB is going to take the stand it probably should and suspend Jesus Aguiar for those comments the way they suspended Escobar. 
because this is a postseason. And if they weren't going to suspend Yuli Gurriel for the World Series games, they're probably not going to suspend Jesus Aguiar here, which kind of sucks because he should not be using those words. Doesn't matter if you get kicked, like, like you do not have to resort to a homophobic slurs to try and get your point across. You can say Manny Machado is, no, a not very nice person. You can say it in stronger words than that, but this is a family podcast. I try and keep it clean. So you can say, you can express your displeasure with Manny Machado. And there are things to express displeasure with because Machado has been in the face of the Brewers a lot this postseason. He's not endearing himself to anyone, probably the least likable person on that Dodgers team. But you cannot resort to that. You cannot, you cannot go to that level and, and expect to be fine with it. And, and sadly, because of the situation, MLB is probably going to be fine with it and they shouldn't. I think Aguiar should be suspended for a game. But, you know, like I said, I'm just one person. I can't really affect that kind of change. But I can continue to put out content for y'all, and you can continue to listen to it, and I appreciate y'all for doing it. You can follow me on Twitter at NeoAC18. It's NeoAC18. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnJays. And... Check out the writing at jaysfromthecouch.com. Starting to get into Blue Jays high lows there. So check that out for reviews on all the Blue Jays from Randall Gritchuk to Darnell Sweeney. I'm, I'm sure the Darnell Sweeney write-up will be extensive. But anyway, for everyone who's part of the Locked On Podcast Network, for everyone here at Locked On Jays, this has been Ryan Andrews. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. And y'all take care.